Merry Christmas. It is spectacular to see you all here. And uh, choir, thanks. Scott, thanks. Appreciate it. Give them a round of applause again. That's great. The text that we're reading from uh, this evening for our short devotional here at the end, we'll call it, is uh, from John chapter 1. And so as a a tradition that we have uh, currently, a forming tradition that we have in this church is we stand while we read scripture. So I'm going to have you stand with me as we read from John chapter 1 in honor of God's word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God, and his name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. May God add his richest blessings to the reading of his word. You can have a seat. The word becomes flesh. What is a word? A word is like an idea or a thought that gets wrapped in a bunch of sounds that come out of our mouth or a few inscriptions on a piece of paper. And it expresses some sort of reality. These words, they have a tendency of defining things for us. They describe and define. This is a microphone. And, and this is human beings all around us. And these are chairs we're sitting on. And this is a suit I'm wearing. And that's rare. And... We use these words and they define things and they describe things so that we can communicate to one another. That's the whole point, is that they, they, they give us an ability to label things and understand them and differentiate them. And it's not so important what the sounds are that come out of our mouth or what the letters look like on a paper. What's more important is what's behind those because in one language, the sound is different than in another language. But what's important is what it is that we're trying to communicate behind the sounds and behind the letters themselves. Sometimes, words have a hard time describing 
what it is that we're trying to express because it's deeper. Other times, words don't have much meaning at all behind them yet. They're just words, but they'll soon fill up with meaning. Jen and I found these two words that we just loved. We loved the way they kind of sounded and the way they rolled off our tongue. And we loved the way they fit before this other word, deering. The words were Evan and Colton. And at first they were just words and nothing else. And then eventually they became the pitter-patter of a heartbeat through a sonogram machine at a doctor's office. And then after that, they became a bump in my girl's belly. (laughs) And then after that, they became sons who I held in my arms and who I love. And now when I say these words, they are full of so much meaning. They have memories and there's tears and there's joy and there's frustration and there's love and there's all this stuff attached to these words because the words have been filled up with all sorts of meaning. And before they were just words and now they are not just words. They are my sons, you know? But words can be cheap. We say that sometimes, don't we? And words can be cheap. And that's why we say that actions speak louder than words. Because words can move and they can change and they can morph. And, and sometimes people say words but they don't back them up because words are only working and meaningful if what's behind them is functional and real. And sometimes it would take far too many words to describe what it is we're trying to say. And so that's why sometimes we resort to things other than just words, like pictures and films, because we say that a picture speaks a thousand words, a thousand words. Jen and I went to see the the Rembrandt uh, Faces of Christ at the Philadelphia Art Museum. I'm sure some of you got to go see that. And I remember looking at some of those paintings and just thinking, oh my goodness, I don't know how many sermons it would take for me to preach that I would have to preach in order to express what's expressed in that picture. Because so much can be communicated through a picture. And sometimes it's even more than just a picture. It's a touch. It's a movement that speaks to us. Some of you have heard this story before, and uh, you probably won't mind hearing it again. My parents were pretty consistent at disciplining us when we were children. That's a good thing, you know? And uh, one of the ways that we were disciplined was if we spoke things inappropriately, if we lied or if we used inappropriate language. Not that that actually ever happened, but if we had, what would have happened is that we would have had hot sauce in our mouth to teach us a little bit of lesson. It was, it was past the days of soap, I guess, and into the days of hot sauce. And this never really happened to me, although I have an addiction to hot sauce these days, so maybe it happened a few times. And this one time, I remember my mother taking me down to the family room, and she sat me down, and something obviously had come out of my mouth inappropriate. And she had a bottle of Tabasco sauce in her hand. And as she sat me down, she said, Tim, you know why uh, you have to be disciplined, right? And I said, yeah, you know, and I, don't, I have no idea what I did. I easily forget my faults. And anyway, she, uh, she reminded me that I, no evil deed 
should go unpunished. And, and that, you know, when we do things wrong, we need to be disciplined. But she said, you know, it's not just the fact that you broke the family rules. It's the fact that you sin against God as well. And when you sin against God, we break his heart. And actually the wages of sin is death because God is life. And all goodness and holiness is in God and in him is life. And when we sin, we separate ourselves from God. And he's life. And if we separate ourselves from life, what's the opposite of life? The separation from life is death. And we deserve death. And so she's like, you, you don't just deserve hot sauce, you deserve death. Whoa, you know? But she said, there's great news, and the great news is that Jesus decided to die for you. And this is his grace to you. This is his goodness to you. This is his blessing to you. And she said, you know, but you actually have to receive that from him. And, and she said, Tonight, uh, today, I, I, I want to do something. You deserve this hot sauce, but I want to take your punishment for you like Jesus did. I want to show you grace, but you have to receive that. Will you let me do this for you today? And I remember thinking, is this a trick? You know? <laughs> and, uh, and then she said, no, but you have to say it's okay. And I said, yeah, okay. Sure. <laughs> you know? And she tipped back that Tabasco sauce like it was a jug of water. You know? Filled up her mouth with hot sauce. And I remember watching as her eyes started to tear from the hot sauce. And I remember starting to feel pretty bad about the fact that my mom was paying the price for my sin. And then I remember watching as the tears that were coming out of her eyes were no longer just from hot sauce. It was obvious that there was something else behind them, that there was emotion connected to these tears. And that these tears were there because she was actually experiencing something herself in this moment. And now looking back, I realized that she was having a moment with God where she was experiencing in some little microcosm an ability to love someone by communicating the words in a way that brings reality to them so that this child can understand. You know what? I've sat through so many lectures in systematic theology classes about the substitutionary atonement of God. I've heard preacher after preacher talk about the sacrifice of Christ on a cross, but you know how I understand grace? Because the tears out of my mother's eyes when she took hot sauce for me. You know why? Because the word became flesh. You see, this is a beautiful thing because God is the greatest of concepts. He's amazing. He's outstanding. And when I want wisdom, he's the source of wisdom for me. And he's out there and he's ethereal. And it's absolutely amazing for me to ponder and think and sing and pray all about God. But even though he's the truth, and he's the definition of truth, Jesus says that he is the truth. Even though he's the truth, he can't be understood just intellectually, just conceptually, because he's not just a concept, he's an individual. And therefore, he has to be understood relationally. And I have to experience him. And knowing how hard it is for us to encounter or experience something outside of these physical eyes, and knowing that we've separated ourselves by sin from his world, he decides 
that the concept of God will not be a concept for us any longer, that he will wrap himself in human flesh. He will leave the celestial realm, which often to us seems like just a concept, and he will come and break into our reality, the matter, flesh, and he will take on flesh and become like us so that when we look at this one child who came among us and walked on earth, we will begin to see a different reality. Not only will he break from his reality into ours, but now he opens the door so that we can go from our reality into his. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And what happens now is, see, we get to watch. They got to watch firsthand as they watched him walk on earth. But we get to watch, perhaps with even a better perspective, as it's documented in the scriptures, and we look retrospectively and look at at the the person of Jesus walking on earth through the story of scriptures. And you know what we get to see? We get to see what nonviolence actually looks like. We get to see what it looks like to have someone not serve money. We get to see what it looks like to see a man love women without objectifying them. We get to see what it looks like when someone takes a towel and washes another's feet because they love them so much. We get to see what a life of self-sacrifice and service looks like in human flesh. We get to see what holiness and righteousness actually look like beyond just the pages of black and white laws. And all of a sudden, it comes into full living color in a person. And believe me, the bar that is set for righteousness and holiness by our Savior, it far exceeds, far exceeds the letters that have been written in the books before him because he filled up the law and he put on display for us what holiness and righteousness looks like. And when he does this, all of a sudden our eyes open and we look into a different realm and we see things that we haven't seen before and we look at him and we're convicted because we realize that this word that, that, that took on flesh and revealed itself, himself to us here on earth convicts us because we have fallen short of the glory of the one and only. We have not been like him. We have not lived like this righteous one. That We have not lived like this holy one and we have fallen short and in that moment when we begin to realize it he reveals something to us that we are not the words who become flesh we are not heaven meeting earth see he comes from heaven to meet earth and he is the word that becomes flesh we are not earth going up to meet heaven we are not flesh that finds ourselves wrapped up in the word of god we fall short every time The good news is is he has broken through and he has brought the two worlds together. And what he offers to us is an ability for us to step into his world, to step into his relationship, to become a part of the word. And what does he offer us? How does he say that we can become a part of this? He says it right here in verse 12. He says, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, not flesh and matter, nor human dissension or a husband's will, but born of God. This is what happens. In this moment, after he breaks through and he reveals himself and we fall short and we want to enter into this reality of his, what he says is he says, just trust me. Just believe and trust me. And he says, if you will, something will happen. 
you will be born. You will be born anew, afresh, again. And this time, not in flesh, not in matter, but you will be born of spirit. You will be born of God. And you will not just be born, you will be loved as a child of God. It's an incredible thought. This is our response at Christmas. This is where we're called to get into the Christmas spirit. You know? True Christmas spirit. The Christmas spirit is to believe, right? It's to believe. I don't know if you believe in Santa or not, but the question right now is whether or not we believe in Jesus. And Christmas spirit is all about belief and whether or not we will trust him and not just trust that Jesus came as a child one day long ago, but trust that the reality that we see with these eyes is not the most important reality around, that there's a deeper reality that we're engaging in and to believe that God was not just present back then, but he's present right now. And to believe that not only is he present, but that we have horribly offended him. And that we have defied him. And we have nailed him to a cross. And yet he has found a way, not just to love us, and not only to forgive us, but also to cherish us with the depth of his heart. We struggle at times, though. And this is how we struggle. We struggle almost like a couple who has experienced unfaithfulness in the relationship. And the one who has broken the covenant of the marriage finds themselves in a place of, of deep sorrow and conviction and shame. But somehow this other one, the one who was betrayed and offended, found a way in their heart not only to forgive the other, but to really care about them again and deeply love this other person again. But so often we are like the one who has offended. And there's this whole realm and this whole reality of wonderful relationship and forgiveness that's available to us, but we can't get past our own shame and our own guilt and believe that the other has actually forgiven us. Because so often we still walk believing that God is disappointed in us. But God approves of us and God loves us for one reason, because his son has found a way. Because word became flesh and dwelt among us and died on our behalf and took our punishment. And now we have the opportunity to live in a new realm, a new reality, to walk with Jesus. And it's not just for ourselves. He doesn't do this just so that we can see. You see, what he actually wants is to spread the truth, to spread the Christmas spirit, as it were, to spread the belief, you know, and that as we begin to live in him, all of a sudden we begin to reveal something with our own lives. And, and, and there's a momentum that begins to build. Maybe you've heard about the kindergarten teacher who she was having all her kids draw something. And the, she goes over to the one little girl and she says to the little girl, she said, what are you drawing? And the girl said, well, I'm drawing God. The teacher kind of steps back. You know, no one actually knows what God looks like. And she says, well, they will in a minute. That's to be true of our lives, isn't it? Second Corinthians tells us that we who behold the, his face in glory are being transformed from glory unto glory. Which means this, that as we look into the face of Jesus, as we begin to live in a different reality, as we begin to trust Jesus, something happens inside of us and his spirit begins to change us and morph us and make us different. And what happens is word becomes flesh again inside of us. It's a beautiful thing. 
So if I want this year in 2012, if I want the word to become flesh inside of my life, if I want to be able to go to work and see this different reality, this different world manifest in such a way at work that other people can encounter the reality of God, if I want these spiritual principles to be so lived out in my day-to-day that somehow they transform my world, my life, and allow people to see the word become flesh, what does it take? What does it take? It takes knowing and living and trusting in Jesus. And listen, this is how. First of all, we got to know this word because this is where Jesus is primarily revealed to us is through the pages of Scripture. This is where he reveals himself. The reality that we see with these eyes, it doesn't tell us the truth. It lies to us all the time. But here is where we find the truth. This is why we need to be washed by the word. It's like the best kind of brainwashing ever. You know, it washes us because our false realities need to get washed away. The deceptions need to get washed away. Our eyes deceive us, but the word reveals truth to us. His ways are not our ways. They're higher than our ways. And the word washes us and changes us. D.L. Moody, the alma mater of, of the school that Jen and Josh and I went to, he, he said this, or the, uh, the founder of the school, the alma mater, that didn't make any sense. Who cares? Anyway, so he, he said, sorry, that was one of those moments. Um, he said this. This is what he said. It was a great quote. He said, you know, I prayed for faith, and I thought it would hit me like lightning. But I had put my Bible down, and I had prayed and asked for faith. But then I, I read this thing. It said, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And I realized that I had prayed, but hadn't read the word. So I opened up the word and began to read it. And ever since, my faith has been growing. What a great quote that is. So we need to read the word, and the second way we encounter is encounter God and know God is not only through his written word, but by his living word. And this is why Colossians tells us this. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We need to know the written word, and we need to encounter and experience the living word. Because the Holy Spirit, Jesus does this beautiful thing. When he leaves and he ascends into heaven, he says, it's going to be awesome for you guys. This is a direct quote, not really. He says, it's going to be so awesome for you guys, because what happens is, is when I leave, I send back my spirit, and he comes and lives inside of you. Now, not only do you get to be next to me, I get to be inside of you. I get to guide you and comfort you and guide you into all truth. It's an incredible thing. And on the day of Pentecost, that's exactly what happened. And for those of us who would believe, we would be born again in the Spirit, and He would come and live within us, and He will guide us into all truth. It's a beautiful thing. So listen, the question for us tonight, when it comes to our Christmas spirit, when it comes to whether or not we believe and trust, is whether or not we will be His apprentice. It's whether or not we will be the Word becoming flesh again whether the word will become flesh in us and around us. And here's the question, you know, what's going to happen in, in just a few short years, a few different amount of years for each of us, but in just a few short years, this flesh, this matter that we live within, it's going to fail us, right? It's going to fail us. And, and all this world of matter that we consider reality, that we see as reality all around us, one day it's going to give way, isn't it? And when this flesh fails us and when this earth gives way, the question is what will remain? Will we remain? 
where we have moved from just flesh to something else because the word became flesh and revealed this other reality will we be birthed into this other reality of the kingdom of God so when all of it fails we will remain because we have been found in the word because we have been found in Christ it's a beautiful thing on Christmas it's when theology is no longer just theology it's now a relationship it's, it's a beautiful thing where our philosophies about God are no longer just philosophies, they're realities. And it's when all the beauty of poetry and prose becomes news from angels to shepherds because word just became flesh. So here's our challenge as we leave. This is the challenge. Today, let's not let Christmas be just tradition today. Let's not let it be just religion today and let's not let it be just history today. Today, again, may the word become flesh in us as we experience not only what happened then, but what happens today with the indwelling of Christ in our hearts, the birth of Christ in our hearts and our own birth into his kingdom. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Is it not? Join me in prayer.